1: WOOOOOOOOO <laughs>
2: minds that brought you pulp fiction and american psycho
3: so i pretend to be a vampire search for this night's prey who will it be what are the rules of attraction i think i'm in love with this girl she's sweet pure innocent she's a virgin say what
0: you want
4: abstinence is 100 safe which is less of a percentage than whatever i don't care i don't major in math it's
0: totally blank Typical. Do
4: what you feel. It might be fun. You know you want it. You're drinking. Drunk. <laughs> I'm drunk.
1: Tonight's the night. Well, who's a lucky boy? Sean Bateman.
0: Welcome to Rewatchability. We are a podcast on the Entertainment One Podcast Network. I'm Robert Leronde. With me, as always, is... Blaine Waters. And...
3: J.M. McNabb.
0: And we have a very special show for you today, and we have a special guest, but before I get into any of that, first of all, I want to thank our Patreons. Those are the people who give us a little bit of money each month, one, three, five dollars. And in return, you get the podcast early and at free, and there are bonus episodes as well. So if you want to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com/rewatchability, and you can sign up there. So today, we have a movie. It is called the Rules of Attraction, and uh, we are we are here with my good pal Jillian Stone, musician, person. Hi, Jillian. Hello. How's it going?
4: Uh, you know, it's uh, it's good.
0: Right. I realize after I asked that it's a pretty loaded question. Uh, in 2021, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, let me tell you, there is this virus. <laughs> Jillian, you have some music coming out uh, soon, isn't that right?
4: Yeah, I do. I'm releasing a single. I guess this is getting released on Wednesday the 14th, so I'm releasing a single on Friday. And a music video where I do a strange Laurie Anderson interpretive Ooh. dance and cover myself in blood. So <laughs> <Ooh>. oh. <laughs> I me at the beginning. <laughs> Everyone just turned the podcast off. Like we don't want to listen to this girl. No, That's really cool. No, where can
2: I watch that? Where can I find it?
4: <laughs> On
0: YouTube. That makes sense.
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're not judging you can't see it right now, but my foot bath is full of blood. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> so what what's your song called Julian?
4: It's called Shelf.
0: And is there like a place that they can go and like purchase it or download the song?
4: Yeah, it's going to be like on all streaming platforms, so it's going to be on Spotify and Apple Music and Bandcamp if you want to spend like 2 bucks. Nice. Spend 2 bucks, support yeah. the arts. Yeah. Please.
2: Blood or go, <laughs> Blood is, go is to free. Spotify
3: and yeah. If you listen to it on Spotify like 50,000 times, they'll send you like a nickel or something, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got like a, a thousand plays on my last single and I made four bucks. Ooh, so,
3: nice.
4: hey,
2: yeah,
4: that's like a coffee and another half of a coffee. So,
2: <laughs> nice. thanks,
4: listeners. How does
2: Spotify get let's, away with
0: it? Let's see if we can get this one up to 1001. <laughs> <laughs>
4: thanks, guys. And you can tip so- for your coffee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, we're talking uh, about The Rules of Attraction. It's a 2002 movie. It's directed by Roger Avery, and it's based off the novel by Bret Easton Ellis, who's perhaps most famously known for uh, being a dick on Twitter or, or, <laughs> or American Psycho. One of those for sure he's known for. And, Jillian, this was your suggestion.
4: Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Already disappointed. I love it. I
4: what love it. What were you thinking? <laughs> I know
0: Tell us us about what this About your experience with this movie And why you brought it to us
4: Um, Well it's interesting Because I hadn't thought about this movie For like probably over a decade But there was a period of time Where it was one of my favorite movies And that was uh, It came out in 2002 And so I think I found it in like between 2004, 2006 when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I lived in a tiny town where the only movie theater was falling apart and would get movies like late in. So there wasn't a huge movie culture. I wasn't allowed to watch movies at home. So my taste was questionable. And and I relate
0: to that though, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember I found it in like a Blockbuster or, or Rogers and I thought it was really profound. And a few years after first watching it, I brought it to like a group of people. We were kind of hanging out on a Friday night, having a movie night. And everyone was sitting around watching it extremely uncomfortable <laughs> to the point where somebody was like we need to turn this off I can't watch this anymore and I I just thought they were a bunch of squares and having rewatched it I agree with them so that, that's kind of how I feel about this movie like I watched it with my partner and we were both like oh god like this doesn't even make sense like but yeah it was interesting to rewatch for sure and made me really it kind of put me into like an existential crisis of who I was when I was 20 years old. But oh no, you know.
3: <laughs> that's that's what we hope for with this show. <laughs> oh good, spiral into yeah
1: anxieties. Yeah. We I? want to elicit
2: <laughs> dread from our audience <laughs> and from our guests. Okay, well, Blaine, what about you? Did you see this movie? Uh, no, but I did see Dawson's Creek, so I feel like I know this movie backwards and forwards. No, I never. I don't want
1: to wait. <laughs> For <laughs> okay.
2: You bring me back. You're bringing me back. No, to I. The creek. I've I've never seen this movie. Although parts of it feel very familiar, I don't know whether it was on at a party I went to in university and didn't talk to anyone or have any experience that was like this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I I never seen it, but it, it does feel familiar. I knew about it because I knew that kind of everyone was talking about James Van Der Beek being like this totally different character. And and that was kind of, I guess, exciting at the time. And that it was, you know, I think that it, it went against the grain and people were like, this is a film, you know, like this is a, <laughs> you know, this is like end of high school, beginning of university for me. So I think a lot of kids were watching it being like, this is what I can expect going to university slash college. These the kind of, depraved things are going to happen in my dorm room and it was literally just people complaining about their roommate to the to the dawn or whatever you know (laughs) was it like this at all but yeah so i had never seen it before i was interested in it because i didn't know much about it and and then i watched it and we'll talk about that what about you jm (laughs) when did you first see this movie
3: yeah i think i saw this movie just after it came out on like the the movie channel or something I don't think I rented it. Yeah. I don't really have any distinct memories of it. I didn't watch Dawson's Creek, so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a big deal Your to me. You're yeah. lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, the only thing I remember, I remember watching it on the Movie Network, and I remember before I saw it, seeing like, the At The Movies review, like where Ebert and some other guy who, who wasn't Siskel- Talked about it and, <laughs> and I knew it was I knew Roger Avery Had written Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. Was the only thing co-wrote I Co-wrote it him.
0: With Tarantino Yeah mm-hmm. I co-wrote it Yeah or, Though you know, there is some Like stories Controversy about The crediting
3: Oh okay movie. Yeah Yeah because it's a weird one It's like stories By Roger mm-hmm. Avery Or something Mm-hmm and I, yeah, I never saw any of his other movies before that. Like I remember killing Zoe coming out and just thinking it looked upsetting to me <laughs> as a small child.
0: <laughs> why, um, why would he want to kill Zoe? <laughs> Seems so nice. Uh yeah, no, I, I do
3: yeah, so I remember this. I had v- very vague memories of it, but yeah, I was excited to do it, Rob, when you and I were talking about what to do this week and we looked at the cast list for this movie and saw that Paul Williams shows up. It, <laughs> right. We're like, "Okay, this is we've got to do this movie because that th- Motherfucking Rainbow is
0: Connection." Yeah. Uh what about you, Rob? I never saw this movie. I don't know if I knew this movie existed. I mean, I guess I kind of knew it existed. You know, I it, it's adapted from the novel by Brett Easton Ellis. I've never read any of his novels. I haven't seen Dawson's Creek. I don't know what I'm
2: doing here. <laughs> <laughs> You're going through your own existential crisis now. Who am I? Yeah. This is a domino of, of dread. It's awful.
0: But I I sort of find Brett Easton Ellis a sort of interesting character. Like, he's sort of like a character in one of his books, maybe just because he's an asshole. But I don't know. I thought it would be interesting. And, you know, there was a lot of interesting things in it. You know, I thought... I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I think we're just going to have to like Wait. go through it and really just investigate how I feel about
3: <laughs> Wait, this thing. I, actually, I meant to ask Blaine, this: Have you read any? I feel like you told me once that you did read Bret Easton Ellis*. I don't. Am I misremembered. I, I,
2: I, I don't know. I I don't know if I have. I do remember. I I pitched a TV show to like an American broadcaster or whatever and the person that I was pitching to was like do you have like th- three of the episodes in it and I was like no I only have a pilot she's like well this one person came to us with like seven episodes written and we jumped at the chance to work with him and I was like oh who was he and they were like Brett Easton Ellis and I was like well <laughs> well that's that's neither here nor there like uh, I could write seven episodes I'm still like Blaine from rewatching but like I'm, no, like I'm no one well uh, this
0: guy he wrote American Psycho and yeah. uh you know you really should have prepped by writing <laughs> American Psycho. Yeah,
2: exactly. It was just like <laughs> yeah. the most useless information.
3: It was very and funny. how many James Vanderbeek projects <laughs> have you been involved with? <laughs> yeah, Blaine. Oh, didn't even to talk to you about that. Yeah,
2: exactly. No, I, I'd never read any, um, any Brett Easton Ellis. I've read through, like, in a bookstore, I've kind of picked up a book and, and, and read through, and, and I feel like I've read. A book of his now with the voiceover in this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: But uh, yeah. how about you, G- yeah, Jillian? Did you ever go back and read the book?
4: No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't know it was a book until looking into this movie this time. Mm. So I didn't know who Brett Easton Ellis was, and yeah. I didn't even know it was um, like I James Vanderbeek is supposed to be the main character from American Psycho's brother,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which Bateman. I
4: didn't know. Yeah, so that. <laughs> <laughs> So I didn't know that. I just, uh, I had no context for the movie, just my own feelings. Mm. Yeah. Well, it
0: doesn't really play up that part too much. I mean, Mm-mm. he does at one point call in Summer, I don't remember his last name. Summer Holder? B- Boone from Lost. <laughs> Vanderbeek thinks Boone from Lost is Patrick. And who right. is Patrick, right? But that is it.
3: Mm-hmm. Jason? Is this Jason? <laughs> <laughs> It's a Jason Bateman joke. Okay,
0: move on. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is the one good brother out of that uh yeah. out of that three. <laughs> 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 Though I've been watching R- Arrested Development because Rip Jessica oh, yeah, me. he's he's not great yeah. either. But anyway, let's let's just dig into this movie because there's a lot that goes on. It is based off a novel, so it's very twisty and literary. It goes fucking backwards for mm-hmm. a <laughs> significant portion of the movie,
2: memento style.
0: <laughs> like, I think this file's corrupted. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it was. Wasn't this the first movie that was edited on Final Cut Pro? Like the first, like oh, know, was it? studio movie Mm -hmm. really so uh, yeah it makes me wonder if maybe there was just a problem with the software and they just rolled with
0: it yeah yeah it was the first i think that it would have been more expensive to edit it the traditional way and i don't Mm -hmm. know if that's just because of the things that they were doing with it like the time going backwards and a lot of the other stuff or whether that was just the way that you know it was going but yeah I mean that's an interesting sort of thing. It's a very like it's a very filmy, it's a very filmmakery movie. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has a feel of like you know being in the uh, the craft. But let's just get into it because there's there's a lot to talk about. So it starts with voiceover narration. Of course, of a young woman, Shannon Sossman. she's playing this character named Lauren, and she's talking about this party that she's going to, where she lost her virginity. And as the sort of story goes on, it becomes clear, I mean, it's not a, it's not a fun story that she's telling. And you know, she sort of sets up. Like, a lot of the things that are going to come later, like, you know, she wishes that it was with this guy named Victor, and it could have gone a different way, but essentially, she wants to have sex. She wants to lose her virginity, and so she ends up sort of taking this guy into somebody's room, and there she passes out, and already this movie is going to be fucking awful. Um,
2: (laughs) Dude, (laughs) It was a hard beginning <laughs> to this movie, my God, yeah, like I don't know you you kind of care for Shannon Osman right away, the things she's saying you kind of get mm-hmm. you understand mm-hmm. her, and then it just goes from bad to worse to horrifying to like I'm literally looking at my wall to not watch what's happening on screen yeah it's uh it's I think I don't know whether it's just because I'm getting older or or what, but that stuff is just way harder to watch now. I don't know about you guys. I I feel that way.
4: Yeah, the way that it's treated, like I I kind of wondered, before I watched the movie, I wondered if it would be kind of um, almost like a predictive, have predictive qualities of like the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of hoping that it would... Be addressing that stuff in a forward thinking way and having watched it i don't think that that's the case at yeah, all no. and i think that there's many there's many kind of facets of it that would be called triggering yes and yeah so it's it's and and just the way that the you know the the way she lost her virginity was a sexual assault mm-hmm. where she got barfed on and just like took it and you know at the end of the movie am i allowed to talk about the end totally. of the movie yet yep. or? you're allowed oh. to
0: because it's a circular movie so there's <laughs> yeah. no beginning and no end Oh God! Well,
4: just that she's she's just it's not addressed. Like no. she's just like yeah, yeah, I lost my virginity. Like I'm just gonna walk outside and smoke a cigarette yeah. and hang out with my my predatory gay ex boyfriend <laughs> because you know like everyone who's gay and male has to, to, to be do? predatory. Yes. Like they're only horny or ditzy, you know. So we have the manic pixie, the predatory gay man, and the too cool for school guy. And, you know who rides around on his motorcycle without a helmet, so that way we know he's cool. And everybody's smoking cigarettes, so we know that they're all cool. She treats the sexual assault like
3: she was cut off in traffic.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's how and that's how you can tell a man wrote this. Like this is like right there.
4: That's funny because my partner said the same thing. He was like, You can tell that this guy has no um he he has no kind of idea of the inner workings of anyone who's female or queer. Uh, just by way of how he portrays those characters,
2: or not a sociopath, like yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's just crazy to, to get into these people's minds, and you're like they're so divorced from anyone I know uh, <laughs> that th- that I know closely enough to maybe guess at their thoughts. Like it's just yeah, it feels like a completely different alien planet that these people are on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I,
3: but I, I mean that that is part of the point, though I think, and, and you yeah. know, like we are talking about Easton Ellis a lot, but. I think there are, from what I understand, and again, I haven't read the book or any of his books, but there are a lot of differences between the book and the movie. So, like, some of these things may have been a tad different or more fleshed out or more uh, pointed. I'm not sure. I was reading, like, a little bit about it. But, uh, yeah, this I would almost compare, like, this opening to, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm I'm interested. I I remember the boulder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like the boulder. So the boulder, like they they were like, let's put all of like we've got all of these awesome ideas. Let's put them right up at the top and just like yeah. have this great opening. And this was almost like let's put like the most awful, terrible parts of this movie and we'll put it in the right up at the beginning. We'll get this right. A-. And I don't think it was pleasant, but that's what they did, and we all watched it. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, I mean we did. yeah, Now that we're, I think we're like there's a lot more dialogue about like when when it's like appropriate to depict sexual assault or how it's appropriate to depict sexual assault and mm-hmm. i sort of wonder whether thinking back at, t- at 2002 i'm wondering like you know whether just depicting sexual assault in a frank way was breaking out of like the sort of uh, the sort of restrictions that like polite society had put on talking about sexual mm-hmm. assault
2: I, I, um, mean, I mean, I'd say that's a very like forgiving. I, I think. I mean, obviously, we're trying to find both sides to this, but like, I don't know. That just feels very forgiving to the to the mm-hmm. to the movie. I, it, it's
0: like a very difficult scene to watch, and yeah. it's not even the last of the difficult scenes to watch oh, that enough. involve young women. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe we should just move right along because there is so much. There is so much like. I, don't, I mean, it is awfulness, but, I mean, they are depicting a certain society. It is like a privileged society where, like, all of these kids have been sort of thrown together. And it takes place mostly at the university, uh, which I believe is called Camden. And they all sort of live, it seems like, in the dorms. And we already know from American Psycho that the Bateman... Family has got to be like, you know, super ultra risk capitalist sort of people. And the other sort of people, we don't really get like the whole story, but it is sort of implied that they are rich, privileged, and sort of like out of touch people, mm-hmm. just sort of like mm-hmm. raging on their like hormones. And so we have like, we have, as we talked about, Dawson, <laughs> James Vanderbeek, and he plays like this sort of meathead who is just basically like every thought is about fucking. Or or getting high, or drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he is a drug dealer as well. Like he 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 sells drugs to all the other students, and he has a guy that he goes and and gets it to. Uh, you know, as as is mandatory in all like edgy O tour nineties movies, you have to have <laughs> a scene with a drug dealer, and also like the drug dealer sort of climax too. Like the mm. the drug dealer climax at the end of this almost reminded me of uh, Boogie Nights. You know, yeah. <laughs> We're just like some like overprivileged kid who goes somewhere that he shouldn't, you know, to get high, ends up seeing some shit that he wishes that he didn't. Right.
4: Well, also, he's just like never pays his drug dealer. And then he keeps showing up to his drug dealer's house to get more drugs, which makes no sense. You know? <laughs> yeah. Guys, if you're listening to this at
3: home, pay your drug dealer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the hell? And also, he's like a machete-wielding psycho at the end. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) just like a guy living in the (laughs) suburbs, selling recreational drugs.
0: Yeah, yeah. The movie sort of, at this point, after the party, it's the end of the world party. This is where everything sort of goes in reverse. And... You know, a significant, it feels like 50 minutes of the movie is just running backwards. And it's sort of neat. I mean, it has like a good atmospheric sort of tone, and the music is really good. And then there is a, uh, it sort of, when it sort of comes back together, it starts with like a split screen, another film school technique. And it sort of follows Shannon Sossman's character, Lauren, and Sean Bateman on their way to their meet Cute. And of course, there is uh, like five minutes where you see James Vanderbeek just on the crapper. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but that's like an that's like an hour into the movie, isn't it?
2: No, no, no. Oh, well, it is, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it goes through all their characters, kind of at the party and what they're doing at the party, and that takes that's the whole kind of first act of it. It's true. I mean, it does go all over the place,
0: and yeah. I should say that. A good portion of the first part of the movie focuses not on James Vanderbeek or Shannon Sossman, but on Ian. Su- Wait, what did you say? His last name was Summerholder. Summerholder. I keep on just, thinking. Just Sumner? call him like, Moon. Sting? That's what I want to call him. Also, this Lost.
3: is obviously not the most pressing issue with this movie, but <laughs> like he he had like something done to his ears, right? Because his ears look totally <laughs> different in this movie what? than they did on Lost. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and then I was looking. Don't up, expose and I was like, the poor man.
3: <laughs> Jesus. I googled Ian Halder ear, and then like Google auto-filled in ear staple. I was like, okay, so I went down that rabbit hole, and I couldn't find any like good sources. But I'll, you know, people are looking into this. This is okay. He's everyone's also, talking. He's What's your website? Also <laughs> ear
2: staples. He's also in the boys right now, right? That uh, that prime show. Is he? Yeah, is he, he, he plays like the Aquaman spinoff character oh he was in the vampire diaries
4: oh yeah so. is he really yeah. short <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, mean, I don't know well, his poor stapled ears are burning right now <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, there's a scene at the end of the movie where him and and what's her face shannon saw someone come down the stairs and they're the same yeah. height so either she's really tall or he's really short
2: so I'm go- yeah. I'm going to dig into this. This is Yeah, this much gonna, like uh, the ears uh, of i going on the website.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's he's
3: actually like a 5 6 like 78 year old man. <laughs> just, <laughs> wearing prosthetics.
0: Did you hear about that influencer that and it was the old person anyway. Um yeah. <laughs> no. But he is uh he is bisexual. So, he used to date this Lauren person, but now he's sort of got a thing for James Vanderbeek. And he uh they ha- they have like at some party. This movie is like basically threaded through by parties and they all have different names, but at one of these parties they sort of meet at the keg and they have like this really stupid conversation <laughs> where <laughs> He says something about needing a new keg, and uh, or he something about a case of beer, and then. Boone thinks he says quesadilla and sort of like makes, sort of assumes or sh- tries to like manufacture like a, a date or something. There's like a fake date situation mm. that happens.
2: <laughs> Rob, yeah. it sounds like you're telling a story really badly, but this is just what <laughs> happened in the movie. Yes. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like my grandmother telling a story. Like, and then I thought he said quesadilla. <laughs> he didn't. And I said no. we should go to Taco Bell. <laughs> like, I just did say bit. quesadilla. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Typical.
3: Uh, I wish I had a quesadilla. Quesadilla? What? The
2: quesadilla, mixed food, El Sombrero. El Sombrero, it goes a long time ago. How about tomorrow night, then? I'll buy. I don't know. You'll buy? Totally buy.
3: Tomorrow then.
4: But then they don't even go for dinner. Like the plan was to go for dinner, and and then you know he just shows up at a party, and then they're both at a party, and somehow dinner didn't happen, and it was like dinner was never talked about.
3: Yeah, There's, yeah, and there, he was also like there was no time, there was no, there were no specifics worked out. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, no. just not a good, not a good plan.
3: He you did know? try
4: on a lot of shirts. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then Jay Barishal tried to commit suicide. Cause there's a lot of that in the Yeah. This
2: movie. Yeah. I feel, there's so I much feel
4: like that. there's like a lot of, like around that time, there was a lot of just Jay Barishal like cameos in teen films. Am I, I wrong? Was-
0: yeah, almost famous? Yeah. We get to see him. I, he he sort of waves his arms in a similar way while he's uh overdosing or dying or whatever right. as he does in almost. Famous. Actually, that's that's And that
3: and that really dark episode of Popular Mechanics for Kids. <laughs> <laughs>
2: formaldehyde what no this is when when he's in the hospital and the doctor says like he's dead i need to take his corpse like (laughs) hands down my favorite scene of this movie oh yeah that's the paul williams scene he's great (laughs) that's paul williams i didn't know who's paul williams he wrote the Rainbow Connection. Oh, oh yeah. that's beautiful. I like that man. I like his part in this. Bo- he made the movie better and more watchable. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Paul Williams.
3: Those he's got a line in it. Where <laughs> he keeps insisting that Jay Barry feels dead. I love it, even though he's clearly alive. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he says something like, "It's toe tag time in Teensville."
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, and bring his corpse back. I need to do an autopsy on Like he's talking to himself <laughs> in the room alone, and and the camera, the can. There's so much cutting in this movie, but they just keep on him because they're like, we got something special here. This <laughs> we're, we're gonna stay with this guy as long as we can.
3: Harry, Harry, Harry.
2: I'm not getting any
3: pulse. <laughs> this is a joke.
2: I can see
3: him moving. He's not dead. I can see
0: him breathing. He's dead, Paul. Shut up! Oh God! And how did this happen exactly? Oh God! I don't oh know. God! I'm oh God! Oh, God. Shut, Shut up. up! He's not dead. He hasn't got a pulse. There's no heartbeat. His pupils are fixed and dilated. Harry, please come back. Sorry. There's uh, there's nothing
1: more I can do here.
0: <laughs> it is pretty inspired. Yeah. But it is like, I mean, he is pretty nonchalant about whatever is happening with Jay Baruchel. I don't, they don't really tell us what,
2: did he like take too many pills or something I like that? I mean, think
4: he's faking it.
2: I think he's faking it too. And
4: the doctor oh. the doctor figures out that he's faking it and that's why he's telling Trying them Trying to that, scare him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's not really oh. explained. It's kind of confusing and convoluted. Yeah. I thought maybe he
0: had like too many edibles because you ever have too many edibles and you think you're dying. It's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There really are some weird. There are other weird cameos we didn't talk about. There's a
3: scene early on in the movie where for no reason uh, we have to watch Fred Savage like shooting heroin. Oh my oh god. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what do you mean for no reason? That scene is like I that those are the wonder years you know
3: has anyone like like cut that scene but with like daniel stern doing voice (laughs) over me
2: like i really shouldn't have shot up so much heroin uh i just wanted the guy at the door to turn around and be like as you wish as you wish (laughs) right right
0: Yeah, oh that man, yeah, that would have been awful if,
2: yeah, if
3: Peter Falk came in and he was just like stuffing drug paraphernalia underneath <laughs> his pillow. Uh,
4: uh, this movie's kind of like, it's like Train Spotting if it was written by Brett Kavanaugh, you know? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I can't believe that you brought up Brett Kavanaugh because I was thinking of Brett Kavanaugh
0: when I watched this movie. Yeah. I mean, like, this is... Yeah, I mean, like this movie is about Brett Kavanaugh and Brett Kavanaugh's friends. Like Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> went to these parties. No, I'm, I'm fucking serious. Like this is, this is like what, <sighs> this is the world that you know That's Brett Easton funny. Ellis is satirizing or you know playing with or comes from. That's what he's showing us. Like one hundred percent. You're saying the lesson
3: is don't read anything written by someone named Brett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Brett I, I can get behind that. He's right? <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, I mean, like, where else were we seeing that, like, you know, these people were were like this, you know? I mean, I think that for a long time there was this perception that, like, people who go to nice schools, who come from nice families, they have, like, these nice lives and they go on to do these, like, you know, big corporate jobs and, you know, they run our countries and all of that. But there's no showing of the dark side because they have the money and the power to keep that sort of hidden. Right. And then it comes up at something like, you know, Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court confirmation hearing. So I I, I think it's I think it's interesting like that the world is depicted. Yeah,
2: that's fair.
4: Yeah, and they even yeah. say the um, who's uh, Jessica Biel's character, the promiscuous. Well, they're all promiscuous. Lara, but Laura, Lara. Yeah, when she Lara. when Laura. she goes and does the whole football team, and then they say that now she's married to a senator and has four kids. So they even kind right. of allude to that kind of lifestyle and background.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I I I don't want to defend this movie too much because I don't really like it but i I will say like i did come around on it a little bit in the second half like the first half was just watching it like i mean that first scene was just so horrifying and like it's just so relentlessly bleak and upsetting for most of it but i did kind of come around in the second half because like i think i had this realization that Especially doing this podcast, like I feel like every time we do a teen movie from around this time, we're saying like, "Oh my god, these kids are such sociopaths! Yeah. Like, they're such mm-hmm. creeps! Like, why doesn't the movie know that?" And so here we finally have a movie that knows that these characters are are creeps and sociopaths. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's awful and it's unpleasant, but it it at least, like, gets to the heart of something that wasn't really examined in other movies. I mean, the, one of the guys from American Pie is in this movie. Right. Which one? The guy who plays, I don't know. Eugene <laughs> Levy? Steve? <laughs> Steve? Uh, yeah, Eugene Levy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, the guy who's, like, the friend that no one remembers his name. He's even less famous than Chris Klein. I you know <laughs> the guy, right? The golfer yeah. guy
2: from American Pie? Golf? There's a golfer? Yeah, he like plays golf, and that's how he's aloof and Women Want Him.
3: Oh, it? no, not that guy. The other guy. See, there's a guy you're totally forgetting
2: from that movie. <laughs> wow. The
3: guy who's like dating Tara Reid in that movie is the guy in this movie who's dating Glory from Buffy.
0: I feel like you're, you're Shannon Sossman at the end of this movie where she goes to see Victor, and she, Victor doesn't know who she is. I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: you... The the guy who's like in the diner with uh, James Vanderbeek <laughs> oh. and the guy who comes back from Europe. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, M- Mitch. Mitch. I think his name sure. is. Yeah, yeah. The- he's the one that Boone comes on to, and yes, uh, yeah. he doesn't want any of that. But then that guy's
3: from American Pie. Is my uh, yeah, okay.
4: yeah. Thank his you. his tagline is "Old enough to pee, old enough for me." Do you guys remember right. that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a Good moment in the movie.
2: It's uh it's a real high high water mark for this movie. Yeah, I you,
3: for a second I thought you meant that was the tagline on the poster. No.
0: <laughs> for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> But again, I don't think that's supposed to be funny. I don't think that we're right. supposed to be on their side. And no. I mean, it's a pretty big indictment of of these of these people. And like, you know, just before that, he's is the whole European sequence, which is a whole thing because there's a whole fucking movie about that, like shitty 15 minutes of fast-forwarded travel log.
4: They shot it too. They shot it on location. Yeah, but really? Yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. whole movie.
2: Wow.
0: I thought that was really. I like that sequence.
3: Yeah, me too. I mean, I didn't. I didn't want to watch the movie
0: the full <laughs> Yeah, I mean I thought it was version, interesting. But... but I mean, I think I think the fact that there's a whole movie and that I guess the idea is that, you know, Roger Avery and like one other guy went with this actor to Europe and he sort of stayed in character and tried to be in character, you know, <laughs> I, so I love that
2: he's in character just as like a t- like a 20-something guy going to Europe. Like, I don't... What is that character? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but um, it, it is a character. It's like a cliche.
0: It's like that one type of person. It's like the, the grand journey, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, every sort of teen in university does, which is... It's a rite of passage, but it's also, like, totally fucked up and problematic. And, like, yeah, like, here he's just, like, he's fucking all these sorts of people. He gets mono from somebody. But they they actually filmed all this in Europe. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like... He said it'll never be released for because you know for music clearance reasons and probably because I think a lot of the people in the movie did not give uh, did not sign clearance forms. Hmm. Right. I
3: wondered that I, I couldn't help but wonder that watching this and knowing that they really went there. Like, is there someone who's just like? Are there people whose like mom just like hooked up with this guy and she's in this movie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because...
0: there are people who are Kip Pardue's kids, <laughs> probably. <laughs> This is your Hollywood American dad. (laughs) That's my French accent. It's perfect. (laughs) It was perfect. Yeah, and there's other stuff as well. There's the whole uh, Sean Bateman is getting all of these love letters in his mailbox Mm. from a mysterious person. He gets glitter bombed pretty good too. He's probably still picking that out at the uh, out of his hair at the end of the movie, but. It's a big sort of mystery about who these letters are coming from. Is it coming from Lauren, who he has that big meet cute with? Is it coming from Paul, who has like this huge crush on him and wants to sleep with him or what? And we sort of I mean, it, we it's never we never really find out for sure. But it's heavily suggested that it's like this one person who we see in the background of several scenes just for like a second and we don't really it doesn't focus on her at any point in the movie and then there's just this like scene of this person running a bath lighting candles listening to i can't live if living is without you which Harry great Elson. song but a yeah. bit on point point. and <laughs> then she 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 slits her wrist which they show and yeah, and it's, yeah. you know, yeah. down the road, not across the street, you know? It's it's fucking, I mean, it's yeah. very graphic. There's a whole bunch of ethical questions as well, like, you yes. know, I mean, suicide is one of those things that when you depict it, like, it does have, like, a sort of contagion effect, mm-hmm. it seems like, and, you know, there was a bunch of controversy over that Netflix show. Yeah, 13 Reasons Why. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, they do
3: kind of revel in it in an uncomfortable way in this movie, I thought. I, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
4: because yeah. then, like... There's like a couple scenes later. James Vanderbeek tries to hang himself with a telephone cord, yeah. and,
0: then, and, it's, and then and then fakes his suicide, which is seen by the by Shin Lauren,
4: Sossaman. who found who is the, the other woman. Yeah. 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 yeah,
2: It's like a day later, <laughs> and does it does he know that? Like it just seemed like maybe the most sociopathic thing that happens in this movie.
4: Yeah.
2: Well, he can't know that she's going to open the door or be coming to
0: him. I He's, guess he must assume that his like you know f- weird French roommate. He's not weird he's
2: just French is going to is going to see it but uh. (laughs) yeah I just it doesn't seem to me like that um, character has that much impulse control that he would lay there all day not knowing who was going to come to the room Like, I feel like he must have known. So, I don't know. It just... But yeah, I mean... That and, and that's, I think, where the movie does know what it's doing. It's showing how much of a sociopath he is by, like, making fun of this, like, oh, I tried to commit suicide, but it wasn't really. I kind of knew that that, like, thing wouldn't happen. And as soon as, like, he falls off the ceiling, he, like, tries to get the stuff off his neck really fast. And, like, it it kind of makes a joke out of, out of it. Just mm-hmm. when a scene prior, like, this poor young woman does it in a very like horrible way which we see and is reveled in so it uh i I understand the movie's trying to like show that uh how much of a psychopathy is Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and it it does it really well but it also yeah i do wonder about the ethical concerns there, like showing people how to do it for real Mm -hmm. i don't know it's that's hard that's hard territory
3: and playing this kind of like uh, almost operatic pop ballad I, i don't know
2: it may, everything. They try to make everything look sexy in this movie too much. I think, and and even the suicide scene was a little was a little like that. I guess when she's dragged out of the water, that's not that's not sexy at all. But it's still like a naked woman's body mm-hmm. with yeah. with makeup all over it. So I, I don't know. Like it it does it does feel like I, don't know. I yeah I feel like this movie. There would have been a few checks and balances around it today of people being like. Ah, Rethink that, Um, Mm. you know, uh, that wasn't around it then and uh, and maybe to its own detriment.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a really hard scene to watch. And I don't know. I struggle with it because I think I don't like that it romanticizes suicide
4: or sexual assault because it kind of does in a way like. Just that she's like, oh, great. I lost my virginity. Like, I've I've checked this off my list. It doesn't matter how I do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, no. I
0: mean, yeah. I mean, but it's also like there are so many, like, forces that it's trying to contend with. Like, the whole idea of virginity and, like, you know, I mean, what sex means to people, Mm -hmm. to young people. And, you know, what sex meant in the context of, like you know, society in the early 2000s, you know, like after the religious right. Mm. And like, this is also, I mean, we haven't talked enough about Boone's character, who is like the the queer character in this movie. I mean, it's a movie where there is like, it's one of the rare movies, I think, in the year 2000s where there was like an openly gay or queer protagonist. Mm -hmm. But it's also a movie where many characters call things gay and not all and and also things are rated on how gay they are Mm -hmm. or whether they're not gay or you know whether they're too gay so it's like really existing in this like really awful liminal place in history where Mm -hmm. like gay people were starting to be accepted but also like gay people were uh you know very much in the zeitgeist of like what people were joking about or using to like you know put other people down yeah yeah
4: Yeah, the fact that he couldn't he couldn't be in contact with a man without Trying to have sex with a man, and then it's interesting because Jay Baruchel's character is is revealed to be gay, but earlier on in the film, he's trying to have sex with a straight man, but he doesn't want to have sex with Jay Baruchel, who is gay. So he, you know what I mean? Like he's not. Mm -hmm. He's it. It just there's not a lot of like kind of linear thought throughout it either. But I don't know. It's it's he is depicted as really predatory, which I think is really problematic and and.
2: Like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I I felt the same way about his character. That like, I mean, not that any character in this is treated with respect ever, but it does feel like uh, James Vanderby character has at least a little bit of, I don't know, agency or coolness or something that the film loves about him. Whereas it it really does hate its other characters mm-hmm. so much it's, it, in, in my in my opinion but especially with poor old Boone there mm. <laughs> you know Boone. Boone Boone you know he... There's
3: also the you know the one sort of like actual not sex scene, but like, you know, sexy scene with him and James Vanderbeek is uh, is not even real. It's like a fantasy Mm -hmm. that he's having. So it's like, you get that thing that may have seemed sort of progressive in 2002, but it's like, it also has this extra layer where it can't be a thing that's really happening in the text of the movie. Again, I, I don't know a lot about the book, but I was reading an article about the film and it was saying that in the book... There are some key differences. That kind of like love triangle between Boone and Shannon Sossaman and and James Vanderbeek is a bit more fleshed out because in the book, like the two of those guys actually like do have a real life mm-hmm. sexual encounter, so there is something a bit more tangible between them and also similarly like he has like a sexual relationship with the shannon Sossman character mm. who's not mm. a virgin in the book so it's just like a bit more because uh, like also yeah, yeah their relationship feels very flimsy too because like at, at one point like he's like i love you and it's they they haven't even like had a meal together no you know? like, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
4: <laughs> It's over. They like encountered each other in that uh, in that one scene, and that's it. Yeah,
0: yeah. they listened to Donovan together
3: once yeah.
4: briefly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but in the book, I think the thing is is that they're like they're both really unreliable narrators. Like mm. Paul says that you know describes like this night of him and Patrick Bateman or Sean Bateman, Jason Bateman having sex, <laughs> <laughs> and the old but, Bateman switch. But Sean doesn't mention it in the narration of his thing. So it's a question of, like, right, did right. it happen? And Sean doesn't acknowledge mm-hmm. it because of his internalized homophobia. Or is it Paul that is, you know, sort of fantasizing it or being dishonest about it? Which I think is more interesting than the sort of way that it happens here. But I, I, I have to say I disagree with the with the idea that it doesn't like this character in particular like brett easton ellis is a a gay man and Mm -hmm. you know he's somebody who in his life he was for a long time very ambiguous about his sexuality and then i think he said that he was bisexual or something like that but didn't want to get pinned down and now you know now that he's like 50 or something he's you know finally come out and said that he's gay but i think that like i would i would think that like this character has a lot of Observed experience mm. or possibly lived experience in it, mm-hmm. and you know I think is probably coming from the perspective of like a, a kind of self-loathing mm. that comes around you know being a gay person in the past. <laughs> so I, I mean that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and I, I found it like really refreshing actually that the that the gay character isn't you know he's he's not like a bad guy, bad guy, and he's not like He's not like a good guy, like a magical character, like so many queer people sort of as they were depicted in the early, you know, 90s and 2000s were like it's a really sort of he's, he's it's a nuanced character. Yeah. He gets it as bad as everyone else. And, you know, I think you also feel for him in a way like because that kind of
4: he's just try to make like connection and meaning, you know, yeah. Like he just wants connection. And he's putting himself yeah. out there. And... He's in the
2: wrong movie for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and First he... rule of attraction. Don't try to make a connection. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this isn't rules of connections, okay? <laughs>
3: <laughs> we also haven't talked about how Eric Stoltz is in this movie. Oh,
0: fuck, yeah. I mean, fuck, fuck Eric Stoltz. <laughs> I mean, his character in particular. But, like, man, he is so good at, like, playing a sleazy creep. Oh, yeah. Fuck.
4: Was that the teacher? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He plays he plays the, you know, I mean, it's almost a cliche, except that, you know, we know that it fucking happens because we've all been to universities. Uh, He's the guy (laughs) who uses the uh, the uh, incoming class as his personal dating pool. And we see him at all the parties, you know, with his arms around, you know, uh, fresh women. <laughs> I mean, in this nah, that doesn't sound that right. back, the creepiest all, like, way to say
2: student. Rob, yeah. I don't know the creepiest You're way to say student. <laughs>
4: That's fresh person, Rob. Fresh person, <laughs> yeah,
2: there you fresh go.
0: Person. But <laughs> yeah, at one point at a party, he says to Shannon Sossman's character, Oh, you missed your tutorial and then they go back to his office or whatever and he's groping her and you know, she she does seem into it, but it's a power the power thing is never acceptable. Yeah. And but she's like, Are you coming on to me? Do you wanna fuck me? He's like, I'm married. But a hummer wouldn't hurt. <laughs>
1: So are going to do it here on the couch? Do what? You not do it.
3: What <laughs> fuck? Oh, are you mad? I, I might lose my tenure.
1: I'm a, I'm a married man. But aren't you hitting on me? over oh, for a Hummer, sure. You're talented,
4: but also, that makes no sense because she showed up to the tutorial, and he was yeah. asleep in front of a Nietzsche quote with a lit joint, which <laughs> she then smoked. Yeah. So the tutorial never happened.
0: No. Yeah. No. But uh, yeah, just a just a fucking creep fucking creep I did think for a second you know how
3: we saw him at the party before we saw the full scene with him yeah. I thought because we just did Jerry Maguire on the show like a few mm. weeks ago <laughs> right. and he's in that movie for like a second at a party I thought for a minute like was was Eric still just like hanging out at like fake parties and movies for a while
2: well, he just yeah. goes to his agent he's like look only get me background work okay I just want to be a, a walk-on part I'm not going through on. that
3: back to the future crap again
0: yeah. give <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. me a nice
3: party scene. Exactly. They
0: can't recast me if I only do one day. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then how we, we come kind of back full circle to the end again, right? Where... Yeah, the end of the world party,
0: which I should mention was apparently filmed on September 11th, like oh, God. The, the big one. Mm. Oh, wow. And apparently like all the actors came. I mean, some of them came late, and uh, they were like, are we still going to do this thing? And Roger Avery was like, Oh yeah, we got to do this thing. Jesus. Which, I don't know. But then I was thinking about it and like I was at school when September 11th happened and we didn't get to go home.
2: No. <laughs> so. No, you got no, like no. awkward talks from teachers like Gosh. that didn't make anything better, you know. No. <laughs> like yeah, even in well, Canada, I I had like a history teacher that was like nothing will be the same. Like everything <laughs> is <I> shit. Guess. <laughs> everything is shit from here on out like Life is never going to be good again. we're like, what are you? We're teens. Like, just tell us everything's going to be all right. I remember my history
0: teacher being like, there will be wars, first in Afghanistan, then in Iraq. Jesus Christ. (laughs) you get taught by Nostradamus?
3: (laughs) Remember that guy from Home Alone in the hotel? He's going to be uh, president. You're going to want to invest in masks.
2: (laughs) Oh, God.
0: Past that joint, <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, so yeah, it all comes at at the end of the party, and we see how everything sort of happens that sort of led up to it. You know, we see, you know, yeah, she goes to see Victor after he comes back from Europe, and he doesn't remember who she is. And James Vanderbeek's drug dealers come after him and beat the shit out of him, which is why he's all bruised up at the beginning. And Boone, I think, is just sad. I think that's just how he he's, but, comes together. Oh no, he he he's. He, he he tries to hit on James Vanderbeek again, and James Vanderbeek says, you know that he doesn't want him, and also that you'll never know me, like uh, you know Shannon Sossman told him five fucking minutes ago.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> He's like, that's a good line. I'll and then a that.
4: snowflake falls from the sky and turns into a tear.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. And this was like this was like <laughs> the the chef's kiss of the movie. You know,
0: it's it's a beautiful beautiful scene. Yeah,
2: we've we've <laughs> no. seen we've seen Dawson try to cry we're just going to put a snowflake on him it's, it's, it'll From be the a wrong
4: side of his eye
2: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah why is that a meme <laughs> 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 oh man but but so correct me if i'm wrong and if i if i watched this correctly but they all when we go back or more style to the snake eating his tail and we go back to the party we see shannon Sossman take the guy upstairs so everything that happens to her still happens to her we see boone do his thing everything that happens to him, he's going to get beat up and called the f-word all that stuff's going to happen, but then James Vanderbeek looks at that girl across the room and then chooses to leave. Right? He doesn't do anything with her. Yeah, that Am doesn't I...
4: make any sense.
2: So everyone else has these fucking horrible things that happen to them, and he goes, "I learned from this movie, and I'm just not going to have like barely penetrative sex with this woman. I'm going to leave." instead and that'll show my growth but the other people in this movie have to go through the horrible things that we saw at the beginning of this movie they don't even get to like he gets to stop time and change his path through time but they don't is that right
4: well basically he chooses not to have sex with Kate Bosworth and then he dies instead so I don't know if he makes the best choice (laughs)
2: <laughs> wait, he dies? Doesn't he go off on his motorcycle?
4: Yeah, but I, th- well, I, th- I think yeah, but he dies it stops in the
0: middle of the in the middle of his line, like Tony Soprano style, like "Don't stop believing." His plan. yeah, because he's a, he's, a, oh. he's like
4: wasted in the snow on his motorcycle without his helmet because he's cool. And I think the reason that it stops is because he dies.
2: That's I. I took two
3: things from that. Either thought that he died, or it was like the movie saying, "Like we're done with this guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we
2: don't need to." Basically, that's kind of what I thought it was. I thought that the editor was like, "Enough. <laughs> I've been <laughs> on this for like six yeah. months. Final done. cut Pro
3: crashed, and
0: they're like oh, yeah. 'Don't worry about it.' Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's five more pages of this monologue. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But it also, I mean, it sort of uh, ties into the beginning of the movie because the Shannon Sossman's monologue starts in the middle of a sentence, too. Mm. So it's like the idea that there's no real beginning and there is no real ending as well. Or he dies. It's one of those things. It's that ambiguity that uh, mm-hmm. seems so fucking literary.
3: <laughs> it's kind of like Lawrence of Arabia, too. Didn't that begin and end with him like dying on his motorcycle Yeah. in a similar, similar kind of shot? Yeah, no, yeah, I guess
2: so. for sure. I love that movie.
3: I went to film school. Yeah, there you go.
2: <laughs>
4: I think uh, the best thing about this movie is the soundtrack.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hands down.
4: Like, that's good. <laughs> 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 okay.
2: I love. I, Thanks, I just, Jillian. <laughs> I, no, no. Because that's that's how – that's all you can say. Like, yeah. that's the good part about this movie. Yeah, I feel like there were so many reviewers at the time that probably said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, well, that's the plot of Rules of Attraction.
0: We'll go on a short break, and we'll be back with some trivia and some behind-the-scenes stuff. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about Rules of of Attraction. (laughs) (laughs) She's taking a big breath there.
2: Yeah. I thought I I'm thought it was motorcycle. over. I thought it was over. But, uh... We should do that
3: more. Do you guys ever listen to a podcast and, like, someone takes a long pause and you think you're getting a phone call? <laughs> 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 else? Yeah. We should do
0: that more just to mess with people. I think yeah. that does happen on the podcast. I try to edit out as many of them as possible, but... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. You guys need to come up with more shit to say sometimes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we do put it on you a lot. That's kind of I I, I enjoy Motherfuckers some, <laughs> I enjoy sometimes when you're like, yeah, and then you're trying to find the next plot point. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, Rob. I should have been funnier. I'm so sorry. Anyway, oh. you do you have some, some trivia for us? Of course I do. There we do. go. Look at
0: that segue. Okay, but I don't know. Some of these are okay. Some of them uh I don't know. I feel like I procrastinated and I wrote this last minute like a test. Um, so, <laughs> which, okay? which video game adaptation did Roger Avery write the screenplay for? What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Silent it's... Hill. Hey! You got it right. See, that was a trivia question. You didn't yeah, know that, was, that. that was pretty good. Did I you, stumped JM. Did you yeah, know that, that's true? I was
3: thinking when you said that, I was thinking of like video. I was thinking he wrote the script for a video game <laughs> right. adaptation. Mario of Rules of
0: Attraction, the <laughs> <Yeah>. game.
2: <laughs>
0: Choose your asshole,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> uh, Shannon Sossman was also a video a video game character. She was in Hitman. oh was she yeah 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 her sister
4: her sister's also in war paint and she played in war paint
0: oh cool well
4: yeah actually
0: um i should mention oh wait let me do this like as a a trivia question um what is shannon sauceman's relationship to the actress who plays the girl who commits suicide is is... she
3: discovered her body
4: (laughs) that's right is it her sister no oh
2: i stunt double no, I don't know. Bandmate, yes, Jillian. Yeah. Oh, bandmate. Yeah, they
0: were both in War Paint. Oh,
4: see, there you go.
0: Isn't that cool? That's very isn't cool. that
4: rock
2: and roll. Yeah. Wait, weren't oh, weren't that's... you guys? In, weren't you guys in a band together? You guys like played music together? For we did play some music. together Yeah, we did. So you got. But that she question. never discovered my body. <laughs>
4: no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sorry that sounded weird yeah
2: it sounded, it sounded, why don't you discover your body on your own okay why don't, uh,
4: maybe
0: we'll just move on to the next trivia question <laughs> i thought that was that was interesting apparently the woman i don't have the actress's name on here but she was her bandmate and she just roger avery met her when she came to Sh- and roommate when they came to shannon Sossaman's apartment and shannon sasamon was like you should cast my roommate. She's really cool, and then they did. And honestly, I thought she did a really good job. She was I mean, great. She you was know, fine. we definitely talked about the the ethical considerations, but I thought it was like a really strong performance. You know, and yeah, yeah. And she says and, that she really is proud of that, so I think that's also a she should be. To take from yeah. it.
3: And I like that whole sequence where it freeze frames all the places where she was, mm-hmm. kind of like. In the background mm-hmm. that James Vanderbeek didn't notice, I thought that was good.
2: Yeah,
0: it's interesting because one of the things I read really hated that part because really? it made everything too obvious. Because you know you should have caught it the first time or something. I don't know. But- well, I thought it was when he cut, when it
3: was like the freeze frame of like her at the, like the cafeteria. I was like, yeah, we know. But then <laughs> oh, they showed yeah. like five other ones oh, that I yeah. did not
0: notice. So <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, Roger Avery was famously a early collaborator of Quentin Tarantino's. How did they become acquainted? Shoe store?
2: I don't.
3: Was I don't know. Store? Some
2: weird sexual fetish thing? I don't know. <laughs>
3: College wicker man party?
4: <laughs>
0: Close.
2: Jillian, do you have a guess?
4: Um, no.
2: Good. good guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to keep all your points. That's good.
0: They both worked at the uh, at the video store. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that's where they started working together. And you know, they worked together pretty extensively for the first few years of Tarantino's career. And um it seems to be like a really contentious point uh, as in like Roger Avery feels like he should have gotten more credit for things and like Quentin Tarantino took things that he wrote and sort of adapted them without giving him the proper uh due. Yeah. But, well, Tarantino does... hasn't said much about it, and I guess he doesn't have to.
2: Yeah. It does feel like Roger Avery. He is
3: notoriously was... tight lipped. He doesn't like
2: <laughs> <laughs> talking. Um, but Roger Avery seemed to, you know, shout out to his friend in this movie. You know, they talked about Quentin yeah. Tarantino, and I've never heard Quentin Tarantino talk about Roger Avery ever, which <laughs> makes <laughs> it makes it kind of seem like he's like, Yeah, I'm not gonna if you're trying to like I don't know. It just makes it seem like maybe Roger Avery isn't the right because he was being really nice anyway. Yeah. But it could be like a little bit of like
0: Art Garfunkel disease, you know? Like, right.
4: Like Art, you like Art Garfunkel disease.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the disease where like your entire life revolves around the guy who used to be in your band, <laughs> you know? Because like oh. I saw Art Garfunkel at Roy Thompson Hall <laughs> and uh, <laughs> all he did was talk about these stories about girls that Paul Simon knew and wrote songs about. <laughs> <laughs> it was really sad. Anyway, uh, I mean, is it
3: okay? Is it okay to say you can cut this if you want, but that we knew people who worked backstage there, and then when Art Garfunkel came, he uh, <laughs> he he put out the word to all the employees that Art Garfunkel would like a dog to play with backstage before the
2: show. Oh, that's so special. So that, no, that's that's the that's
3: nicest story. That's yeah,
0: the nicest that's, story. That's stay again. Let's
3: oh,
4: stay
0: again.
3: I think I, it's kind of weird. Did
4: like, they did they get him a dog? I guess. Oh. <laughs> he
0: killed
2: that
3: dog.
4: No, yeah. Rob, come
2: it's, on. It's a sacrifice before he goes on stage each each time. I um, call it Simon. And no, then. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's kind of sweet that anywhere he goes, he gets like kind of like a stress dog before he goes on stage, oh. and then. And then, and then someone has a story of like, you know who who like met my dog, like you know who I met and like played with my dog was Paul was, Simon. Was Paul Simon? <laughs> no. And uh, damn it, JM, you beat me to it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a. Bitch.
0: Aww. I bet so Rover cool. would love Paul Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, can you guys name the four Brett Easton Ellis? books that have been adapted to movies we've already talked about American Psycho and this one so I, actually I guess there's well, three. less are than zero counting, is are
3: you one? counting American Psycho 2 with Mila Kunis <laughs> and William Shatner oh my god <laughs> no okay
2: <laughs> was less than zero one or something like that was it called that less than zero yeah. is one yeah
3: oh fuck what is it? there's one it's called like the Imposters or something what's it called the Informers the, the Informers that's, that's correct
0: it. And there's a, there's a third one. The... was it, it features is, Lindsay Lohan. Oh, is it,
2: oh, it the like canyons? the canyons, the canyons or the hills? Yeah, oh. that's right. That was, a, that was in a book, though, was it? He, I think he wrote the screenplay.
3: Yeah, he wrote the screenplay. That's the movie he made with Paul Schrader. That's oh man, like, maybe
0: it wasn't a book, like a B B-softcore
3: porn movie. I've always wanted to see it just because it sounds incredibly bad. Yeah, kind <laughs> of like yeah, Caligula
4: yeah. or something like that. On that same Caligula,
3: if they if the budget was like a thousand dollars and they <laughs> shot it in a in a house,
0: <laughs> yeah, I read an article about it. It sounded really interesting, but yeah, I had no real interest in seeing the movie. I mean, nothing that Brett Easton Ellis writes about is anything that I am particularly interested in. I mean, they're always like rich people. I mean, they're always, I guess, the sort of people that I like hold contempt for, <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, he's also become such, like you said, c- kind of this toxic figure now, like on Twitter and like, doesn't he have a podcast or something. And Probably. he's also like, you know, his most recent <laughs> book was like a collection of essays or something, like, you know, raging against like Me Too and cancel
2: culture mm, and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah.
3: he's, I, he feels like, again, I don't know a lot about him. I've never read any of his books, but just as a cultural figure. The sense I get from him is he's a guy who, like, used to be the hip, young, cool guy, and now that image has faded a bit, and so he's kind of pivoted. Like, you know, like a comedian (laughs) who gets, like, called out for something awful. He's pivoted to, like, tailor his material to this kind of right-wing crowd.
0: I think that that's that's part of that. And, like, you know, when American Psycho came out, it was such a big deal, like the book, that he was effectively—I mean— he wasn't canceled because obviously American Psycho came out and he became a huge author, though often that is the result of canceling mm. uh, somebody's that just sort of increases their audience. But I mean, he essentially like everybody turned against him and tried to get like American Psycho banned. There was famously a big feminist reaction about it. And, you know, later on, after Mary Heron adapted the the book, it sort of became a cult sort of favorite and people are like well maybe American Psycho the movie has something to say maybe the book is like you know a little bit too much but there's like some good starting material and it's like one of those things that's really I find really interesting because like you know for example like with American Psycho like Gloria Steinem was famously against it and, you know, wrote a big thing about saying how it was dangerous and awful and then when they adapted the movie her, like, stepson, Christian Bale was cast as Patrick Bateman. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think it's interesting how, A, these things sort of come around. Yeah. But also, like, B, yeah, I mean, I think that he has been, like, traumatized by people, like, overreacting to his creative material. I mean... You know, I think that... I don't think that he's a great writer. I mean, I, again, I haven't read any of his stuff. I don't really feel like the compulsion to read his stuff. I'm always looking for something to read, and I never think, Brett Easton Ellis, that's the answer. Mm. But... <laughs> I, I do think that, like... I mean, I think that there's something valuable in his work, at least, like, from what we've seen of the film adaptations. I, I think that there's a lot that he's, like, looking at that other people aren't looking at, and he looks at it in a really interesting way. Mm. I mean... You know, like uh, American Psycho really captured the zeitgeist of the sort of late 80s corporate raider sort of Wall Street sort of thing in a way that only really Wall Street did Mm -hmm. perhaps more. Right. More clear. And, you know, for, for my money, I would say like he captures, you know, a part of like the university experience, you know, and not necessarily like all of our university experience but like you know a part of it that we we sort of read about in like you know magazine articles about like rape culture and campus all of this stuff that's happening on campus but like this movie was sort of showing it in like a very raw form yeah you know yeah in the beginning
4: kind of sensationalizes the dark underbelly in a way
0: yeah yeah absolutely i mean so yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's... But I also think there
3: is something to what you're saying that, yeah, can be extrapolated and and used to understand this movie. Because I think, like, like American Psycho, you know, that's feels like, at least, again, I'm just going off the movies here. But, like, that movie feels like more of a very pointed satire. hmm but I feel like this maybe this comes across, and I think it probably does come across more in the book. But it, you know, like you, I it's not, not the kind of thing I would want to like devote that much time to like delving into. Mm-hmm. But like this sense that we're going to take like the worst aspects of like college culture and like you know the toxicity of of people that age and and you know bring that to the surface and have be, that be like the predominating sense of that community. And, and in a sense, like make that feel more real than other representations of like adolescence or college culture. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there is something to having like every character just being like relentlessly selfish and, and emotionally uh, hindered and having every adult be useless and uh, predatory. Like Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think it's, it's almost getting at something. And I think there is something about the experience of watching this movie that, 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 Gets at that. I just don't feel like I take much away from it Mm. at the end of it. I was also trying to think about like other movies that kind of do this, like because it is very unpleasant to watch these characters who are who are terrible (laughs) and doing terrible things. But I, you know, I was trying to think like of of other movies that well do similar things.
2: It reminds me a lot of like Requiem for a Dream. I was going to say, but even in that, you have these characters that really love each other. You know, it doesn't feel like there's. There's any, there's at least there's a silver lining in that, or a tragedy in that. Like, Mm -hmm. well, this this is rules of attraction, not rules of love. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, you know, a movie that I I was reading some old reviews,
3: a movie a lot of people compared it to at the time was Train Spotted, right? Right. And that movie, I think, like that movie, and also like Rules of Attraction has a lot of, uh, I think, kind of Kubrick vibes. Like they have James Beek do that kind of. Kubrick stare from yeah. oh my God. Clockwork I Orange and is The Shining and stuff. Like- yeah, but I think those movies, both Clockwork Orange and Trainspotting, they make the awful, awful behavior seem fun. They show you the character enjoying their life, mm-hmm. and, right. and it's perverse, but it draws you into it. Whereas this movie always just felt like I was at a distance. I was always just like nothing... I, I didn't get why they were acting the way that they were. And I was just judging it from afar. I never, you know, kind of latched on to that behavior. Yeah. Like train spotting makes you think heroin looks awesome <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, until, you know, the character experiences real tragedy as a result. So I, yeah, I don't know. Like I wish, I wish this movie had done something like that. I think maybe, maybe part of the problem is that it's split. Like you're, you have so many characters and it's hard to involve audiences the same way. As it is, if you're doing a book where they're all speaking to you in the first person, mm-hmm. I mean, it tries to do it with the voiceover, but I don't think it totally works.
2: Yeah, I, but but even in Train Spotting, there's that character that kind of loves his friends. Like they're they're all fucked up and they're sometimes horrible human beings, but he sees the good in them. Like there's good in there, and and I just like no matter how much I watched this movie and like looked for the good in people, I mean, Shannon Zossman comes close. Yeah, you know, but I agree. Uh, but but there's. There's just not a lot of good. And it, it just made me feel really bad. <laughs> it really oh, made yeah. me feel bad, guys. <laughs> I mean, I think, that's, I think that's an interesting point.
0: I mean, I would say that's like something about like the university experience. Like you don't have like gr- having your friends that you've always had from childhood growing up is like one experience. But then the other experience is like you come to a, a strange place where all of a sudden there are no adults and everybody is – you know, you're sort of friend and you don't really know anybody at all. And you just have like these amplified relationships. I mean, that's like why people like meet each other once and then say that they love each other. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. But it's also like, I don't know. To
2: me, that like speaks a little bit of the authenticity of the experience, but it does make it hard to latch onto Mm -hmm. as a movie. Yeah, but but that's a great counterpoint, Rob, uh, just in terms of, you know, being that age and having to make friends again. And it's easier when... You're in high school, uh, but that's even harder than when you're in grade school, where it's very easy, right? So, yeah, I, I get your point. That's a good it's one.
0: even easier when your mom arranges play dates. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, dudes are really <laughs>
0: weirded out by that now. So, I don't, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> so, some behind the scenes stuff for this movie. So, James Vanderbeek said that this movie sent him to therapy, and uh, I think it makes a lot of sense uh you know i he said that you know he was used to playing the dawson and i guess that there wasn't anything super super dark in dawson's creek i didn't see it but he had a hard time dealing with this movie and he he says that he uh he started going to therapy because of this film and Hmm. uh you know the actor shit that he had to do to get into character
4: well that makes me feel better about james vanderbeek you know like yeah in a way
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah He was, I actually thought he was pretty good in this.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I, I think he was. Good.
0: I mean, I think the performances are really good. Yeah, he's good. Sawcimans good. Summer Summer Breeze is good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Twenty.
0: <laughs> I just can't remember his name. Boone. Boone. Yeah. Summerholder. Ian Summerhalder.
2: I I think they're all good, and I mean Ian Summerholder is just great casting for this role. Like they're they're all just very good. Um, we didn't
3: even mention that Faye Dunaway is in this. Swoozy
1: Kurtz. curves. Kurtz. Oh Kirsten. yeah.
0: That scene I did not like at no. all. No. That was a bad scene. <laughs> it made the... no sense.
4: None. But well, there, was, guess, there was there yeah. was like the, you know, the stereotypical men dancing on a bed in their underpants to George Michael, you know. That was very um pigeonholy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 they originally wanted to get james franco for the uh for the sean bateman part but um, i think that they started working with him and then he i think roger avery said he was like too actory
3: couldn't convincingly play a creep <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's
0: tricky it's tricky uh being yourself did but, you read it, did
3: you read about the scenes they did shoot with patrick bateman
0: yeah, so they asked Christian Bale whether he would reprise, reprise reprise his role as Patrick Bateman for this movie. But he said that he wouldn't do it for anyone other than Mary Heron, which I think is, That's is cool. a, it's a good choice. Yeah. But so they thought, or I think Avery wanted to have Brett Easton Ellis play Patrick Bateman himself but they eventually decided that that was a bad idea which i think is a bad idea even though even though ellis admits that patrick bateman is sort of based on him bad idea but they ended up getting Casper Van Deen from Starship Troopers and Whoa. Casper the Friendly Ghost, I think. Yeah. No. He's no, not in that. Not at all. But they filmed these scenes.
2: From Casper the Mattress and... Uh, <laughs> no. 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 Don't give them a free plug. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> but they ended up not using them. And I don't know. I mean, I think that the I think the movie is sort of fine without it. I like, that, I like the sort of tenuous connection to the other material, but I think it would have been too obvious. I think at one point they wanted to have him with like a severed. Head wearing a uh, leopard print thong, so I think that's too too obvious.
4: That didn't obvious. happen.
0: A touch on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently the there is some interesting commentary tracks for the DVD. Oh, Shannon Sossman does one where she calls uh, Roger Avery, so that's very interesting. But also for some reason they just got Carrot Top to do one. <laughs> <What>?
2: <laughs> no, wait, what? No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Carrot Top had no involvement in this movie. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was, like, playing the campus at the same time or something. I don't know. But Wait, they just what? decided that, you know, they should get Carrot Top, too. so they
3: got not only a comedian who was not involved with the production of this movie, but a comedian whose humor is entirely dependent upon the visual medium <laughs> to come talk over a movie for two hours.
0: Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, which I... I I I wish that I had the time, you know. Yeah. But uh I'm just too old to for that shit now. But you know, I I guess I would like to see I would like to see a compilation of like the the best movies cuz I think it's also like he hadn't seen the movie before. It's just like <laughs> Carrot Top never says no to a gig. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> how you, you get ahead. Like discovering like some of these scenes with Carrot Top. <laughs>
2: I love it. That's so funny. You can't
0: funny. see this, but he's taken a banana and turned wow. into a frown on his face. I
3: don't understand. Was Michael Winslow from Police Academy busy? Why did they cast Carrot Top? He played a, a mime in this. Commentary? He played yeah. a mime. Um. Gallagher
0: was out of town.
3: <laughs> hey, Rob, what, remember when we were looking up this movie before we decided to do it, it said that
0: Ron Jeremy was in it. Is he in this movie? Uh it says that he is but and I think that there's like a reference to him somewhere so it's supposed to be like a che- like a cheeky sort of They're
4: watching thing? porn at one point. I think he's maybe he's
0: Oh maybe Oh yeah. Yeah. No, but I think it's lesbian porn.
4: No, there's like a there's a oh maybe I don't know. There's there's some guy with a boob in his mouth at one point. Maybe that was Ron Jeremy. It could be Ron <laughs> Jeremy.
0: Yeah. I mean maybe it was archival but um You know, I think, though, it's I know that Ron Jeremy is also credited in some of Roger Avery's other movies. Like, I think he's in maybe Killing Zoe or whatever. Is it Zoe or Zoe? Anyway. Zoe. Yeah. Interestingly enough, that movie won the special prize at uh, Cannes the same year as uh, Pulp Fiction. Mm. But uh, I didn't ask you the question because... Jen made it sound like it was a bad movie. So, No, um,
3: <laughs> I have never seen it. It just looked like <laughs> intense when I was like 9. <laughs>
0: well, could have been a good trivia question. <laughs> the the Patrick Bateman thing says it was rep- it was deleted for length, but also because Lionsgate sent a very nicely worded request. Oh. Nice. You know. Yeah, like yeah, from lawyers. Yeah, so, yeah. I think that was part of the reason. Yeah, yeah and didn't, then we'll- didn't Lionsgate release this movie? Yep. <laughs> uh, well, maybe they didn't have it at the at that point or oh, something. Okay. I don't know, but that's what it says. I don't know. I'm not gonna fact check this. <laughs> uh, is this is this Mr. Lionsgate? <laughs> oh man, yeah. And that's that's what I have for this movie. So that's I great. think let's just go around the circle and we can do our first person narration of our experience watching this movie. It was a memory like none other. <laughs> I bent down and picked up a peach. Uh, why don't we start with you, Jillian, since you are a very special guest.
4: Well, like I said, I, I agree with, you know, the the people I was hanging out with who wanted to turn it off. I say, <laughs> don't watch this movie. Just don't even turn it on. And if you do turn it on, turn it quickly off again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about it.
2: Good, good advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what does it does it because i feel like young jillian was kind of right to find this an interesting movie like it, it has a lot of interesting things in it that are happening and even just from a filmmaking perspective you know like it's a very interesting movie to watch if young jillian was here today no i won't make you do that um but uh but like do you feel i don't know like how do you feel about it now between then
4: well, I guess yeah, I guess when I was young, like maybe the fact that it was pushing some boundaries and dealing yeah. with with issues like bringing up kind of queer culture, bringing up sexual assault, bringing up, you know, having Nietzsche written on the board. There's a right. point where
0: I hear he's smart.
4: <laughs> there's a point where like James Vanderbeek, he steals a Gabriel Garcia Marquez book from Fred Savage's room <laughs> and Fred Savage, Fred Savage, yeah. Yep. And just stuff like that. Like there are bits and pieces of kind of culture that you're interested in when you're, when you're of that age and you're into kind of more alternative scenes. So yeah, I think that, I think that it did kind of push boundaries in maybe a somewhat like adolescent kind of way that I found really compelling, especially being from a small town where it basically did not have a lot of alternative culture. So right. yeah, I think that from that regard, I, it made a lot of sense, but I, I think, especially like you were saying, Blaine, like watching it now, being older, it is, it, there's just stuff in it where you're like, ah, I don't want to see that. Like, I, I, it's upsetting to watch. Like, I, I had to fast forward through the suicide scene. Like, I just was like, I can't watch this. Like, yeah. yeah. I can't watch it. And, and there was, there was a lot of incontinuity, like in the plot. Like, she shows up, uh, Shannon Sossaman shows up and she's looking for James Vanderbeek. And James Vanderbeek goes upstairs to smoke pot with, with Ian. I don't know his last name either. And, uh, <laughs> see? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Jessica Beale says, like, oh, we went upstairs with, with Victor. No, not Victor. What's his face? Paul? What's his name? Ian? No, Paul. That's it. Paul. Oh. And, uh, and, and then she is like, oh, okay. I'm going to go suck off my teacher now. Like, you know, instead of, you know, she was at the party for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> didn't look for the guy that she had a crush on. And then, went and jeopardized her academic career like you know come on guys like this that doesn't make any sense but maybe it does maybe that's how young people behaved in the early 2000s who knows so- young
3: people are awful Yeah Yeah, I'm gonna say that
4: Yeah there's You know there's this uh, That scene in 30 Rock Where Tina Fey Sees a bunch of teenagers And yells youth And like runs away That's how I feel now (laughs) Like Yeah
3: (laughs) You know there's like Unlike the house On the other side Of the driveway from me There's like All these teenagers Have been hanging out there recently Like in the garage And I was thinking about it The other day I was like Where did all these teenagers Come from When we moved in here Five years ago There was like a nice Ten year old kid (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand (laughs)
4: There was one time when I came back from Banff and uh, one of my suitcases got lost and uh, lost in the mail. And so I only had uh, woolly hiking socks and a pair of really ugly Tevas. And I had to walk through. There was these teens and they were sitting kind of against two walls with their feet out. And I had to walk through them. And I was afraid they were going to start kicking me, you know, like in a <laughs> hallway. And one of them said, nice socks. And they all laughed at me. So I, I just don't like teenagers. Oh, kids. Mm. Oh, yeah. my God.
2: It's the worst
0: because, you know. <laughs> they, uh, they pick on your insecurity. Yeah. Your yeah. socks.
4: <laughs> I didn't feel yeah. good about the sock and sandal combination. It wasn't a cool sock and sandal combination. And yeah, they did. They got right to the heart of like.
2: Oh, my God. It yeah. just reminds you of being a teenager and being embarrassed all the time. And then teenagers are like, hey, this is your embarrassment. And you're like, yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they're like, they don't even know about life yet. And you, you know, They know
0: nothing. Kids are idiots.
2: <laughs> but you, <laughs> you still. Talk to any of them for you, five minutes. You still kind of want to be cool to them, though? You still want to, like. Be, yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, I hate that so much. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd rather cross the road than feel all that feel. Yeah. At the same time. Um, okay, Blaine, what about you? What did you think about it's Rules just, of Attraction? It's just a hard movie to watch. And man the the people that write this and film this and stay with it for so long i mean making a movie you're spending like two years with this thing and and uh and writing a book longer i uh, assume um and uh and he's writing with these same characters in each one of his books the batemans and and what a family, family to follow batemans. what a family to follow <laughs> it just I wouldn't want to do it you know it just it just seems like. It's, it would just be so depressing. It would just be too much. Yeah. You know, you need to watch Mr. Dress Up every morning just to get out of bed. <laughs> and, um, and I, yeah. I what? So, just he's a nice person and makes life seem okay, Mr. Dress Up so are those streaming somewhere? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of um, just a
4: good idea in general.
2: Yeah, right. It could be on your little Google assistant or something that wakes you. <laughs> so I I just couldn't I just couldn't get into it. It was too jarring to start with. It was in a near movie and kind of like, like, okay, well, this is this type of movie. Let's mm-hmm. see what it's saying. And it, it said some stuff, but it also didn't say enough about mm-hmm. other stuff that it was doing that I that I just – I never want to make someone else watch this, and I don't think I'd watch it again. Like, at least with *Rocking for a Dream, I find that, like – it's hard to watch and it's, it's so tragic and I don't want to watch it again, but I understand there's amazing filmmaking happening there. And I understand that like there's interesting relation. I don't know. It just, this Isn't didn't, there? This didn't get it for me. Uh, so I'm going to say not rewatchable. What about you? Jay? Whoa. Who me? Yeah.
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I do think, yeah, I, I kind of, like I said, I kind of, feel re-appraised uh, it a little bit in the second half. I I think there are some interesting things he's doing. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because it's so showy. I mean, like, you have, like, backwards credits, the opening credits and closing credits. Like, it's trying so hard to be, like, early 2000s filmy. But I think there are some sequences are, that are good. I like that split-screen mm-hmm. uh, part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was effective. And that actually, you know, that actually, like was effective not only because it was like a gimmick that worked but also it was a gimmick that actually like put me in the headspace of those characters it made Mm -hmm. me feel like it felt like a romantic moment it felt like uh that kind of like very present feeling of that age whereas like other things that were more like uh yeah like technically savvy but like continue to keep me at a remove from the characters were less successful. I don't know. I don't know, man. This is it's a it's a profoundly unpleasant movie. I yeah, I don't. I I am kind of glad I watched it just because I did not remember it at all and uh and I think there's some interesting stuff there, but it was just so so bleak, so nihilistic and and I think it it does in a way like balance the scales in terms of like showing the relentless uh awfulness of of you know especially like boys that age that other movies at the time didn't uh really engage with but uh yeah, but man, I did not like you i I could not watch like the suicide scene, it was just mm-hmm. so traumatic and and yeah and the rape scene at the beginning is just and it's awful just because like i the movie knows it's a bad thing but i don't think they you get the sense the way it's depicted in the voiceover that the movie doesn't quite get just how like horrifying this is Mm -hmm. and that's a problem and it's not just like you know through the progressive lens of uh of 2021 to say like hey like maybe like uh You know, a woman should be telling the story or you should have, you know, gotten more perspective to to allow you to tell this story more successfully. Like even like putting aside like the external factors at play here, like it it's fundamentally nonsensical within the world of the movie. Like this is this is a traumatizing moment for the character and for the audience. And like you said, Jillian, when we see the resolution of that scene at the end of the movie the nonchalance with which it's all kind of treated is is jarring mm-hmm. and gross and and it's all kind of yeah made to tee up like the fate of James Vanderbeek and yeah. his motorcycle. Like I, I don't know. Yeah. So I would say it's not rewatchable, but I think there's some interesting stuff in there. Uh Rob, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that I sort of, I'm not going to say enjoyed this movie, but I did appreciate, like, what it was trying to do. And I think that, like, I feel like we watch so many movies that are just very generic and sometimes they're, like, doing the best within that sort of genre. And this movie sort of, you know, it did so many things that were different, though, obviously, I mean, if it's a genre, it's like, you know, a, a 90s auteur movie. Uh <laughs> But uh, I think Roger Avery describes it as sort of like a a, a anti-teen comedy. Mm -hmm. And it was obviously like marketed as a teen movie, not as a comedy maybe, but as like a, you know, as one of those teen movies. And I think that like in that way, it like works very well. I mean, it is like... It is counteracting, like, a lot of the mythological sort of narratives that, like, you know, team movies have sort of built up. It it does look at it in an unflattering light. It is really extreme. I mean, I don't think that I want to watch this movie again. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I need to see it again. But I feel like... I'm glad that I saw it. I mean, I really wish that I had seen it when I was younger and, like, really into literary things that were very extreme and uh, all of that. Because, yeah, I I do feel, like, a little bit too old for it. Mm -hmm. Though this movie also, like, straddles, like, the line. Like, I don't think it's necessarily directed at teens, even though I think that is maybe trying to, like, pull in some of that demographic. I mean, it does feel like, in a certain way, it's just, like... This is a movie that features teens. I don't it does a lot of things I think that are really interesting. So, I'm going to say I'm going to say it's rewatchable. Mm. Um even though that's the unpopular opinion. I think that it's, you know, it's complicated. There are lots of things that don't work. I actually found the second half of the movie like a little bit looser, like it it doesn't come it doesn't sort of like come to like an easy conclusion or there's not like a clear climax. There's just all these sort of moments that like don't necessarily come together. And I do like definitely question like this movie that sort of starts with, you know, Shannon Sossman's perspective and yeah, it ends with James Vanderbeek's fade out. Yeah, I, I, fi- I feel like in some ways he is like the least strong of the narrators. The other ones, I think. Because I think it's just a lot easier to have some sort of sympathy for them, mm-hmm. whereas like James Vanderbeek is just like such a meathead dill hole, you know.
1: <laughs> dill hole.
0: But yeah, I mean, Jillian, I'm really glad that you brought this movie to us. I'm glad wow. that we made Blaine watch this movie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I made you watch worse. It's true. Um, but yeah, thank you, Jillian. Thank you so much for coming on board and yeah, and, and talking this through. It was it was great.
4: Yeah, thanks and for having me.
0: What's the name of your song again? It's called Shelf. And um they can download that where?
4: On Bandcamp it can be downloaded and then it can be streamed on all streaming services and the music video will be on YouTube and I will also be doing a live stream on YouTube on April sixteenth at seven PM Eastern time. So Nice. Yeah. Cool. Check it out.
2: And yeah. and is it is the band name just your full name, Jillian? Yeah, it's just Stone. me. Stone. It's my okay. solo
4: project, yeah.
2: Great. Nice. You don't
0: have like a stage name?
4: Uh no. No. I figured uh, I I you know, my name works. It's who I am. It
0: does and... it does work. You yeah. know, the stone it rocks. like a
2: rock. Nice. <laughs> oh, like, rock and roll. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
4: Rock and roll. Never there heard that
2: before. Never heard that. <laughs> rock and roll like this movie. That's great.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm smart. I'm smart like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay and we're
0: Rewatchability You can find us on Apple Podcasts Where you can rate us or review us And you can also If you'd like to reach out to us somehow We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook We're also on Instagram So you can follow us there If you'd like to become a Patreon and get those early episodes And get them ad free None of those ads You can go to patreon.com Rewatchability And also we have t-shirts at TeePublic And I think that's it Right? I think that's it. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with uh, hopefully something a little bit more uplifting. <laughs> so it's not hard to find a more uplifting film than this. Yeah, you know? I, I
4: helped you out there. <laughs> I, I brought it all the way down. So, you know, you guys can bring it back up again.
0: Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> next week, uplifting Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we all die. So it's... it's. Yeah. <laughs>